Well, good morning, everybody. It is good to be with you guys. My name is Matt Carter. I'm the pastor of preaching here at the Austin Stone. And as Aaron said earlier, um, here at the, the downtown campus when he welcomed everybody, we're so glad you've joined us. I want to say hi to all the other campuses that are meeting all around the city of Austin right now as we speak. I want to say hi to you guys. Thank you for joining us today. We're glad you're with us. And we're beginning um, today a series that we're simply calling We. And all in the world it is, is we're just um, taking a few weeks and we're looking at and reminding ourselves this about, we're looking at what is it that we're supposed to be doing as a church. It's very, very simple. What is it that this is all about, this thing called the church, and then what role specifically do you and do I play in this thing called the church? Okay, that's it. That's what this series is about. We do this every year at this time when we begin sort of the fall semester for folks that are coming in to go, hey, this is what we're supposed to be about. This is what we're supposed to be doing. This is why we come and we do this thing called the church. Now, keep in mind as we get started today that when I say we, what we ought to be doing as a church, I'm not just talking about us as a group at the Austin Stone. I'm talking also about you as an individual, okay? Because if you're a Christian here today, if you're a believer if you're somebody that's trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior, then the Bible is really clear that whether you're young or old or you've got money or you don't have money or male, female, whoever it is that you are, if you're a believer here today, you are a vital and you're a critical part of the body of Christ. And you may not think of yourself that way, but you are. And I don't turn there today. I just want you to, to read this. I have the scripture behind me on the screen. But Ephesians four fifteen. Paul's speaking about that very thing, about the critical nature of each one of you who's a believer and a part of the body of Christ. And he says, rather speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head in a Christ. And then watch what he says. He starts talking about the body of Christ, which is the church. He says, from whom the whole body join and held together by every joint with which it's equipped, that's all of us, He says, it's joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped. Now watch what he says. He says, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that builds itself up in love. And so what Paul just said is that this is how the body of Christ grows. This is how the body of Christ becomes healthy. The scripture says, when each individual part is working properly, properly. And if you're a Christian here today, you are a part of the body of Christ and you're a critical part of the body of Christ. And so that's what we're doing. We're just simply looking at as a church, what does it look like for us? And then what does it look like for you and for me um, to be a properly working part of the body of Christ like the scripture says that we are. Now, to the best of our ability, the pastors and the elders of the church have sort of come up over the last couple of years with four foundational things that we think needs to show up in the life of a a believer here at the Austin Stone in order to be a proper working part of the body of Christ. And they're very, very simple. And everything's kind of summed up in these four things, but they're very simple. Number one is we want you to love God. I know that's put your seatbelt on. I know that's crazy. That's like step number one. We want you to love God. We want you to love and serve the church, his bride, the church. We want you to love and serve the city for the glory of God. And then we want you to love and serve the nations. We feel like that if, 
as you become a part of the Austin Stone, as you make this place your church home, that if you're doing those four things, then you're in a good place and you're probably being a healthy part of the body of Christ. Loving God, loving his church, loving the city, and loving the nations, okay? Now my hope today is that as you go through this series together with us, that you would not just hear these things, we're gonna kind of talk about them, We hope that you just wouldn't hear them and say, okay, that's cool, that's great, and go on with your life, but that you'd kind of stop and you'd evaluate yourself. And then you'd evaluate, look, do I see these things showing up in my life? Are they growing? Is there an upward trend in these things? Do I see myself loving God and loving the city, loving the church, and loving the nations? Now, here's the thing. What I wanna do today is I I just wanna take today and I wanna talk about that first one, the very simple first one, and that's this. It's our call to love God, our call to love God. That's the very first thing that we're asking uh, of myself, the leaders, and for you, is we want you and I to be lovers of God. That is step one, that's the critical foundational step. And you being a proper working part of the body of Christ is that you're someone that is a lover of God. If that's not there first, then the rest of them will never happen. So that's what we wanna talk about today, being a lover of God. Now here's the amazing thing. Here's the cool thing today, is that the Bible tells us that before we were ever lovers of God, God loved us and he loved us first. And that's pretty cool. That's pretty amazing. When you stop and think about it, that that of all the ways that the creator God of the universe can think about you, that of all the ways that the creator King of kings and Lord of lords can think about you and feel about you, the Bible says that he loves you. He loves you. It's pretty amazing. Paul says in uh, Ephesians 3.18, he says, I hope that you are able to comprehend. Paul says, I hope you can get your brain around this. I can hope you get your mind around this. He said, I hope that you're able to comprehend what is the length and what is the width and what is the height and what is the depth of God's love. And some of you guys here today, Maybe more than anything else that I say today, more more than anything else, maybe that you need to just simply hear that, that God loves you over and over and over again. The Holy Spirit inspired word of God says that he loves you. He loves you right where you are today. He loves you with all the baggage and all the stuff and all the junk that you came in here with. And there is absolutely nothing you can do to change God's love for you. You can't be any more loved than you are right now. Okay, now. But in light of that love, in light of this unbelievable, never-ending love that the scripture says over and over again, he has unbelievably towards us, then what the Lord says very simply that he desires from us is that we return the love, that we love God in return. That's what he asks. And so what I wanna do, kind of get to the bottom of the day is what does that look like? What does it look like for us being a proper working part of the body of Christ? What does that even mean for us to love God? Okay, does loving God, if we're lovers of God, does that mean that, that we come in and we just sort of have warm, fuzzy feelings about God? Is that what it means to love God? Um, does it mean, uh, you know, we love God if we, while we're singing, we, we get emotional towards the Lord? Does that prove that I love God, right? If, if, if you come to the Austin Stone and, 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 and you sit through the entire sermon and, um, and then you sit through the worship and you actually stay for announcements before you get up and go to Hill Hut. Does that prove that you love God? Like, what, what is this 
thing even mean when, when the scripture tells us that we're supposed to love him? Well, the Bible actually says a lot about what it looks like to love God, but what I wanna do today is I wanna answer that question from a little bit different angle. And I wanna talk about the barriers that keep us from loving God. That's what kind of we're gonna be doing with the series. We're gonna talk about the barriers that keep us from loving God, the barriers that keep us from loving the city, loving the church, et cetera, with the hope that as we sort of talk about the barriers that keep us from loving God, then we'll walk out of here with a better understanding of what it looks like and what it means to love God. And so all the preachers, again, uh, sort of leaders and the elders got, to, got together and we asked ourselves that question. We asked ourselves, okay, what is hindering us? What's keeping us as individuals and as a group from loving God? And we came up with three things. And I'm gonna share those three things with you today and we'll be done. Kind of three barriers, if you will, that we see in our culture, that we see in our lives that are sort of keeping us from fully loving God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And I wanna I want to show these, I'm just reading them to you here. Here's the first one, and it's self-authority. We talked about how self-authority is keeping us from loving God. Talked about self-obsession. We live in a culture of self-obsession, and that's hindering us from loving God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the last is when we're self-defining. When we're self-defining, that hinders us from loving God. Pretty much all the ways that that, that, that we struggle with loving God with all our heart, mind, and soul, we've kind of figured that you can be summed up in those three things. So I'll walk through those three things. We'll be done. Let's look at the first one. The first hindrance to us loving God, being God lovers, is self-authority. Now, what does that mean? How is, how is self-authority a hindrance to you loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? And, and here's the definition, I think, of self-authority. Self-authority is this. It can be defined... When I look at myself and when I think about myself as the final authority on what is good and what is right for my life, instead of when I submit to the authority of God and what he says is good and right for my life. Self-authority can be defined as when I sort of look at myself as the final authority of what what is good and right in my life instead of viewing and looking at God as him being the authority and then submitting my life to his authority. And if you think about it, guys, that at the end of the day, self-authority was pretty much the first sin that was ever committed. Back in the day in the, in the Garden of Eden, God created Adam and Eve. He put him in the garden and he says, hey, you can eat of any tree in the entire garden that you want. You can have it all, but there's this one tree in the middle of the garden that I don't want you to eat from. And when you think about what God was asking of them, listen. He gave them a ton of freedom. It was really simple. He said, you can have anything you want, but then listen, he, he asked them to obey his authority in this one area. You got all this freedom. You can do whatever you want. But there's this one area. I want you to obey my authority. I don't want you to eat from that tree. Okay, so Satan comes along. He tempts him. He says, you know, did God really say you can't do that? And so Adam and Eve looked at the fruit and they're like, man, that looks good. And they thought to themselves, what's the big deal? And they ate it. Now, at the end of the day, That act of eating a piece of fruit in and of itself was not necessarily a sin. The sin was that they rebelled against God's authority in their life in that moment. They, in that moment, placed their authority over the authority of God, and that was the sin. Now, here's a question for you guys. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but why did God do that in the first place? Why did God establish his authority? Why did he tell them, hey, don't eat from that particular tree in the middle of the garden? Was he being a jerk? 
I mean, was he, was he trying to withhold the best from them? Or was he trying to keep them from what was the best in life for them? Was he just trying to prove a point? Well, it's not really the case at all. Watch this in Genesis 2, 16. It says, and the Lord God commanded man, saying, you, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but, uh, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. Now watch what God said. He said, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Okay, now listen, because this is critical. God doesn't establish his authority in our lives to keep us from what is good. God establishes his authority in our lives to protect us from what will destroy us. Okay, that's why he establishes his authority. Not to keep us from what's good, to protect us from what will destroy us. I just got a new puppy. I'm living this out on a daily basis, trying to establish authority. I got a new puppy. It's a golden retriever. Her name's Remy. She's adorable, but she's not real smart. And so every time I I take her out, because I don't want her going to the bathroom on my floor, so I'm taking her out a lot, and I take her out on a leash. The first thing she does, if I forget the leash, which is often, is she takes off as fast as she can. True story. I have, I have mulch in my backyard. And I don't know what it is about the mulch, but she loves mulch. And she, boom, she takes off on a dead sprint to this mulch, which is, I don't know, this kind of mulch is like little sharp sticks that are black. And the stupid dog, first she gets and starts eating the mulch. And then I have to run and open up her mouth and get the sharp stick mulch stuff out of her mouth. And every time, this dog is so cute, she looks up at me with this look like, you are the biggest party pooper on planet earth. She looks at me, she's like, why are you keeping me from this tasty mulch right here that I want so badly? You know, and guys, here's the thing. I'm keeping her from the mulch, not because I'm trying to withhold something that's good from her. I'm, I'm keeping her from the mulch because I don't want her to die by eating the mulch. And that's exactly what God's doing here is that he comes in, he's God, he's, he's pretty smart. He knows what's best. And so he establishes his authority in our lives, not to be some sort of massive cosmic killjoy, but he, but he establishes his authority in our lives to point us and to direct us to what is actually best for our lives. And that's critical that you get that. And God designed this whole thing this way, that obedience to, a God, uh, to God and his authority, obedience to God and his authority brings about life and peace and blessing. And then disobedience to God and his authority equals death, okay? Now, that's pretty simple. That's pretty straightforward. Pretty much any believer in here would say, yeah, I believe that. Obedience to God's authority equals life and peace. Disobedience to God's authority equals death. Everybody would say they agree with that if they're a Christian, but here's where the problem comes in, is that we don't like when people have authority over us. That's just in our flesh. Most human beings don't love when people have authority over us. And number two, the problem comes in is that we live in a society that is full of examples of people that abuse authority in our lives, whether it's our bosses or maybe our parents or the government or people we've been in relationship with, we could all probably tell a story of somebody that abused their authority and used that authority for their own good and maybe in a way that was abusive to us. And so a lot of us have come to the place in our lives where we don't like to give authority to anybody and we've sort of unfortunately lumped God into that and we struggle with his authority in our lives. And honestly, guys, I am seeing 
I'm seeing a disturbing trend, I think. I'm seeing it very, pretty regularly, increasing a regularity in Christianity Day. And here's what I'm seeing. What I'm seeing is an increasing number of people that call themselves Christians. They'd say they're Christians. And if you ask them, they'd say that they love God. But at the same time, they say they love God, but they're increasingly placing themselves in authority as to what's good and right for their lives, and they're rejecting God's authority. What God says is good and right in their lives, even though they say they love God. I'm seeing that all the time. And one of the best illustrations, I think, where we're seeing this, people that say they love God, but, but they're rejecting God's authority, is in, the, um, is in the show The Bachelorette. That's probably the best place I'm seeing it happen. Now, now true story before Jesus, um, before the Lord, I do not watch The Bachelorette or The Bachelor. I don't. You can ask my wife. And the reason that I don't watch The Bachelorette is because it's from the devil, all right? <clears throat> and if you aren't familiar, it's from the devil. If you aren't familiar with it, it's this the premise here. Um, they take like a single girl and they get maybe like 30 guys and, and for a couple of weeks, not very long, they go on dates, right? And then she basically whittles it down to a couple of dudes and then she picks the guy after three weeks she's gonna marry. It's brilliant, right? It's, it's such a great concept for a show. It's really stupid, and, but it's really popular and um, it's probably the reason our country is going to hell in a handbasket. But anyway, I don't, I don't watch it, but I am on Twitter. And I'm, I'm on Twitter, and one night after the show, it's Monday night, I think, I don't know, it was after the show, it was blowing up. It was like worldwide trending on Twitter. I was like, what is going on? Why is this satanic show trending worldwide on, on Twitter? And so I started doing some research, and here's what I found. There's the girl, I think her name was Hannah, is that right? No, nobody's gonna admit it, that they watch the show in here. <clears throat> I think her name was Hannah. She had, she had slept with one of the guys on the show, during the dating phase. And, um, and I, th- I think it was more than once. I don't think it was like they just messed up. I think it was more than once. And here's the, here's the thing with that is that, is that she, she sort of claimed to be a Christian. She was pretty open about her faith during the filming of the show. And there was this one guy that came up to her and, and confronted her about it. Now, here's the thing. The guy was an idiot. Nobody liked the guy. And, and he was really judgmental about it and he was super mean and he did not approach her. He was, a, I think he was a Christian too, or claimed to be, but he did not approach her with kindness or grace or love at all. <clears throat> but basically bottom line from what I could gather is he said something to the effect of like, how can you call yourself a Christian and then, you know, sleep with this guy? And her response was really interesting. She, she's, and I get it because this guy was being a jerk, but she sort of defended what she did. She defended her actions. And she said something to the effect of like, look, everybody messes up. But then she said this, she said, but Jesus still loves me. Everybody messes up, but Jesus still loves me. And that is the alarming thing I'm seeing in Christianity. Now listen to me carefully. I'm seeing over and over and over again, people are saying, I can do whatever it is that I want to do self-authority, but it's no big deal because Jesus loves me, okay? Now, in one sense, what she said is a true statement, in one sense. In one sense, it's a true statement. Yes, everybody messes up, everyone messes up, and yes, Jesus still loves you, 100%. 
The scripture is absolutely clear that there's nothing you can do, there's nothing in all creation that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. But the problem is, is that she had no remorse whatsoever about rejecting God's authority in her life and, and in regards to sex outside of marriage. And so I wanna, I wanna show you a scripture here that came out of the mouth of Jesus to sort of poke some holes in this argument that I can have self-authority, I can do whatever I wanna do, and Jesus still loves me. And it's in John 14, 15. Watch this, bring it up. This is Jesus speaking. And he said, if you love me, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And see, what Jesus is saying here, guys, is that we can say that we love God all day long. But Jesus said that one of the primary ways that we demonstrate that we actually do love God is when we submit our authority to his authority in our lives and we do what it is that he is asking us to do. That's how we demonstrate that we love God. And, and my wife and I, my wife Jennifer and I, were talking that night about the show and I was, I was telling her about, <clears throat> about it and she said something that I, I thought was really interesting as we talked about this girl that was sleeping with this guy but when her husband, but hey, Jesus still loved her. And Jennifer said something that I thought was really profound. She quoted Jesus there. Jennifer said, you know, you remember the verse that Jesus said that if you love me, you'll keep my commandments? And I said, yeah. Jennifer said, you know, the question is not really if Jesus loves Hannah because Jesus still loves Hannah. The question is, does Hannah love Jesus? And I went, you are absolutely right. You're absolutely right. You see, guys, if you fall short of the glory of God and you sin, does God still love you? Yes, he absolutely still loves you. But if you reject his authority in your life and you willingly sin, the real question in that moment is not does Jesus love you? The question, according to Jesus, is do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? I saw a quote this week. Um, where the, the lead singer of the, there's a Christian band called Skillet, and uh, his name is John Cooper. And he had an amazing quote that I think sums this up really well. It said this, he said, I'm amazed that so many Christians want the benefits of the kingdom of God with the caveat that they themselves will be the king. And that's it, that's it. He said, I'm amazed that so many Christians want the benefits of the kingdom of God with the caveat that they themselves will be the king. In other words, they're, they're like, I want everything Christianity has to offer. I want the abundant life and I want the, the eternal life, but I wanna be the king. I wanna be the Lord. I want the authority. I wanna be in charge. In church, we can say all day long that we love God. We can sing that we love God until we're blue in the face. But the evidence biblically that we love God is that you love him enough to submit to his authority in your life. And so I want you to just ask yourself a simple question today. Are there areas in my life where I'm placing my authority over the Lord's? And honestly, there is in mine. There is in mine probably is in many of us. Get to the bottom of that. Loving God means we submit to his authority in our lives. Here's the second one. First one is self-authority. Second barrier to us loving God is self-obsession in our culture. 
self-obsession. Now, honestly, we've probably always historically been self-obsessed, but maybe we're just more aware of it now, but we live in a culture that is very self-centered. It's very self-focused. And, and I think we're seeing that become a barrier to us loving God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And um, I wanna do some research for this particular subject and topic in my sermon. So I read this article called The Selfie Generation. And, um, and I read this, the article said that between Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, and Twitter, there is on average 93 million selfies per day in the United States of America. That's a lot of selfies, folks. There's only like 370 million people in the country. So that's equivalent of about a third of the people are dropping selfies on a regular basis. Now I get it. There's, there's some people that you got to post selfies for your job and stuff. So don't email me. I get all that. I understand all that. But I read that and I'm like, what is going on? What is going on? Why do we feel this driving need to take a picture of ourselves and post it so that other people can, can look at it? And the article said a couple of reasons why this is happening. 93 million, that's a lot. It said, one, scientifically proven that uh, likes produce dopamine at a natural high. So you people are addicted to selfies, that's why. And then number two, says there's this comparison effect that happens uh, that takes place when we see other people's selfies. And I, I, thought, I read this, I was like, that's brilliant. The article said that with social media, hear this, listen to this, so true. The article said that with social media, you tend to compare your behind the scenes life to the other person's highlight reel on social media. Okay, did y'all catch that? It's, it's, it's right on the money. Uh, when you look at Instagram, that's the person's highlight reel. That's their highlight reel. Y'all know what I'm saying? When, when you take a selfie, y'all know y'all don't take just one selfie and post it. You take 72 selfies and you find the perfect one. You find the perfect one at the perfect angle in the perfect light where your, your chin is at the perfect angle so it doesn't show any fat and your hair is wisping perfectly in the air and that's the one that you post. And so the people on your timeline, they're seeing this highlight reel, this perfect picture of you. And then they compare that perfect picture to their behind the scenes real life. They're looking in the mirror and they're like, my chin's not perfect. My hair doesn't whisk perfectly in the air and it produces depression in them and then further self-obsession in them and wanna project themselves in that perfect way. And so that's just one example uh, that's sort of showing up in our culture, but we live in a self-obsessed culture. And so the question is, why is self-obsession a barrier to loving God? And here's the answer. Okay, listen carefully. Being self-obsessed or self-focused hinders us from loving God because when you look at the Bible, when you look at the scripture, there's an order. There's an order to which our attention and our focus needs to be directed, okay? Biblically speaking, not me, biblically speaking, over and over again, the Bible says that lovers of God are supposed to be God-centered first. That's why Jesus said the very first thing that you're supposed to pray is God, hallowed be your name. You get up in the morning, you get on your knees, the first thing out of your mouth is, God, I want your name to be hallowed. I want your name to be exalted. I want your name to be lifted up above my name. And so first and foremost, we're supposed to be God-centered and God-focused in our lives. And then secondly, the Bible tells us that lovers of God are supposed to be others-focused. We're supposed to turn that affection and that love towards other people. And then lastly, we put our desires and aspirations and all that stuff behind the needs and the desires of other people. Philippians 2.3 says this. Philippians 2.3 says, do nothing 
from selfish ambition or conceit. Man, I, I wanna challenge you guys. If you're a believer here today, I'd love for you to have a quiet time this week on that phrase and just sit on it for a while. Think about your life. The scripture says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Here's how we do it. In humility, consider others more important than yourself. And that's a verse that's pretty stinking hard to live out if you're self-obsessed or self-focused. Let me give you one more example of something I'm sort of seeing in the culture that I think is attributing to this self-obsessed nature of our culture, and that's the concept of self-love. Self-love. I, I hear that all the time, the term self-love. And so I was like, okay, I get to the bottom of the self-love thing. What does that mean? And I, and I Googled self-love, which is a little scary, but here's what came up. And in true story, this is, this is what came up. I'm just gonna read you the articles. Don't believe me, go look at, at yourself. Number one was smart girl's guide to self-love. And then number two was how to live your dreams by practicing self-love. Number three was a seven-step guide to loving yourself. And then it was eight powerful steps to loving yourself. And then 10 tangible ways to practically love yourself. And then 11, I'm true story, go look it up. 11 ways to love yourself. And then 30 ways to practice self-love and be good to yourself. And then I stopped. And I thought to myself, my gosh, could these people get together, right? And let's just get a list, you know, save, save us all some time. But hang with me here. I'm no expert on this, but hang with me here for just a second. In, in one sense, self-love is a really good thing. Okay, in one sense, it's a really good thing. Okay, there's a sense that we need to first take care of ourselves and that we first need to care for ourselves physically and spiritually and emotionally. There's a sense that, that we need to sort of let ourselves off the hook when we fail and don't wallow in shame and, and self-loathing and misery and all that. So in one sense, self-love can be a really good thing. But, but when you look at the Bible, hear this. When you look at the Bible, the aim and the goal of self-love ought to be for us to get into a healthy place so that we love God and we love other people. That, that self-love is a good thing if it results in loving the Lord better and loving others better. And what's happening in our culture is that far too many believers, far too many believers, far too many people, and especially believers, are taking this notion of loving yourself, but they're doing it to the exclusion of loving God and loving other people. And the problem with that is it's pretty much contrary to everything Jesus ever said. In Matthew 16, 24, when he was giving the definitive sentence in the New Testament about what it looked like to be his follower, in Matthew 16, 24, he said, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would follow after me, let him love himself. No, that's not what it says. Let's let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. What Jesus is not saying is don't take care of yourself emotionally, physically, spiritually. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that yourself can't be the center of it all. Yourself can't be the focus. Yourself can't be the most important thing in your life. And so listen, guys, I doubt there'd be a single person here that would actually admit to being self-obsessed in their and that's hindering them from loving the, loving the Lord because if you're self-obsessed, you're probably unaware of your self-obsession. And so here's, here's a little thing you can do to sort of discover if that's something that you might be wrestling with and be completely honest with yourself. 
that if someone were to watch your life, someone were to sort of follow you around for a few days, what would they say is the primary message you're sending with your life? If they just watched you and you asked them, what, is, what, do you, what do you think is the primary message that I'm sending with my life? Would they say that the primary message of your life is look at Jesus? The primary message I'm seeing in your life is you're pointing people to Christ. You're exalting him, you're hallowing his name. Or would they say, hey, pretty much the primary message you're sending in your life is look at me, look at me. It's incredibly difficult to be a lover of God and a God-focused person if you're constantly focused on yourself. Okay, so last one, last one and we're done. The last major hindrance that we see sort of in the culture and we see it in the church, that, and, and this is a sneaky one, so listen carefully, that keeps us from loving God with all of our hearts, mind, and soul is when we're self-defining, when we're self-defining. And we live in a day and we live in a time in our country where we place a really high value. Our country places a really high value on each individual person being able to define their own identity, and that's okay, that's okay, all right? But... We all have these things in our lives that we define ourselves by. We all have these things in our lives that when we think about ourselves, that's what we think about, whether it's sexuality, whether it's our gender, whether it's our race, whether it's our job, whether it's our hobbies, whatever it is that we do, we all have these things that we define ourselves by. And one of the ways that you can sort of know how you actually identify yourself is if somebody were to ask you the question. If somebody were to ask you the question, this question, how do you primarily define yourself. How would you answer that? Just think about it real quick. If you and I were hanging out, having coffee, and I said, you know, random stupid question here. How do you define yourself? What is the primary way that you define yourself? How would you answer that question? I think a lot of us might say, well, might say, I'm, I'm a mom, I'm a mother, I'm a, I'm a father, I'm a, I'm a student. University of Texas Longhorn, I'm an athlete, I'm a, I'm a businessman. And if you're not sure how you would answer that question, then go look at your Facebook or your Instagram bio because you defined yourself. What does it say, okay? Listen, I fear that this is an area that most of us don't even think about. It doesn't even cross our minds very often at all. And I fear it's something we're ignoring as Christians. And I think that it's critical that we get to the bottom of this. And here's why I say it's critical. Listen carefully. Because what you think about, what you think about when you think about your primary identity, what comes to your mind when you think about your primary identity is going to be the thing that, prim that primarily drives your time, your attention, your effort, your worship, and your love. Whatever, whatever it is that you say, this is how I define myself, this is the primary thing, that is gonna get the majority of your time, your attention, your love, and your worship, and I fear that far too many of us, God is not at the top of that list. He's not at the top of the list. And being a genuine lover of God is when you begin to view yourself, and you begin to think about yourself, and then you begin to live your life based on not who you say you are, but who God says you are, that you define yourself the way God defines you. It's, a, it's this thing that we don't think about much, but when you look at the scripture, it's a critical way that we can love the Lord. It's to define ourselves the way he does. Now that begs the question, how does God define us? 
How does God think about it? What does God say is our identity? And so real quick, I just wanna read to you just a few things that, that God says that you are. If you're a Christian here today, I want you to, this is who God says you are. You ready for this? He says you're holy. He says you're holy. He says you're blameless. He says you're forgiven. You're loved. You're chosen. You're known. You're called. And you're set apart. God says that your identity is that you're a royal priesthood. You're a person, a special person of God's possession. You're an heir to the promise of life. You're a critical part of the body of Christ. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. God says that you are created in his image and that you are his workmanship. In the Greek, that means poem. You are the poem of God. You are the citizen. You're a citizen of heaven. You're a new creation and you're more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ. Not, not me, but God says this is who you are, that you're a light shining, new life living, darkness overpowering, a river of life flowing, power of the resurrection possessing, hell's gate trampling, victorious, unstoppable son or daughter of the king of kings and the Lord of lords. That's who God says you are. That is who you are. Yeah, you can clap for that. If that doesn't excite you, I probably need to read it again. That's who you are. That when God looks at you, that's who the one that created you says that you are. That's how God defines you. You know, I wonder, I wonder if God ever looks at us and he thinks to himself, you know, I gave him all these things. I gave him all these privileges and all these titles and all these unbelievable ways that I think about them. And I've poured out all these blessings on their life. And I wonder if he ever thinks that, man, they don't even care. They're so busy pursuing their titles and their aspirations and their blessings that they've just completely forgotten about mine that I've given them. And so I want to end today by asking you a question. Is who, who loves this way? I was thinking about that. Like, who actually loves this way? I, I mean, when you think about it, what God is asking of us is pretty intense. The way that God wants us to love him is, is pretty intense. Who loves that way? What kind of person? What kind of person shows they love somebody else by laying down their authority? What kind of person shows that they love another person um, by, by completely focusing on that other person? What kind of person loves that way by, by laying down their identity and letting somebody else define them? Who loves that way? Well, the first answer to the question is Jesus did. Jesus did. He let go of self-authority, completely let go of self-authority, humbled himself to the point of death on a cross. He let go of self-obsession and he emptied himself completely. And though he, he was God, he became a servant. And he, even though he created uh, the earth, he, he came to this planet and he washed the feet of his creation. He let go of self-definition. And even though he was God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Who loved that way? Who loves that way? Jesus did. And he's our example. But I was thinking about this this week. Is you know who else loves that way? They lay down their self-authority. They lay down their self-obsession. They lay down their self-defining in order to love somebody else. You know who else loves that way? Little kids do. 
I was thinking about that. Little kids do. Little kids, little children, little ones, they get, they get old, they stop. Little kids actually love their parents the way that God is sort of asking us to love him. When JD was about two or three, he didn't have any authority at all. And for the most part, he had his moments, but for the most part, he all in the world he wanted to do was just be with me. He just wanted to be with me. He wanted to please his father. That was it. When he was little, he, he wasn't really self-obsessed. When I would come home from work when he was two, three years old, whatever he was doing, it didn't matter what he was doing, he would chunk it in the air and he would run full sprint to me because he just wanted to be near me. When he was little, my son wasn't self-defining. If anything, he wanted more than anything else to just be like me. If you were to ask him when he was three or four years old and said, what are you gonna do when you grow up? He said, well, I'm gonna go to A&M and I'm gonna be in the Corps Cadets and I'm gonna be a preacher. He would have told you that. He defined himself the way that his father defined himself. He wanted to be like his dad. Well, that little boy grew up. I actually dropped him off at college yesterday. And here's what I'm realizing is that I'm still his dad but my authority in his life is diminishing just a little bit every day. And when I see him, he's happy to see me, he really is. But the dude doesn't drop anything, everything anymore just to run to be near me. I get a what's up, dad, if I'm lucky. And he doesn't wanna be a preacher anymore, he wants to be a doctor. And although he went to A&M, he's not in the core because he loves his hair too much. And he's got his own identity. And a couple days ago, something really crazy happened. I almost wish it didn't happen because it just was wonderful, but it ripped my heart out. A couple days ago, we found, we were packing, getting ready for JD to go, and we found some old video that was taken when he was about two and a half, three years old. And I have not seen this, this video in 15 years. And Jennifer was filming him. He's, he's in a diaper and a T-shirt. He's about this tall. And Jennifer's like, I guess I must have been out of town or something because Jennifer was like, hey, say hi to daddy. He's like, hi, daddy. And uh, he's, daddy, I love you. I love you so much. He's like, please come home, dad. Please, I want to see you. I miss you so much. I love you so much, dad. And he just was so cute and so amazing. And you could just tell, he's like, dad, I want to be with you. I want to be with you. And I watched that video. And I lost it. I lost it. I have, not, I have not cried that hard <laughs> since the day that my mother died when I watched that video. And I, I laid in bed that night and I was trying to figure, I was like, why did that hit me so hard? And here's what I came up with. I miss that little two-year-old boy. I miss him. I miss him so much. I love my son. He's 19 and I love him today just as much as I loved him when he was two. My love hasn't changed one bit, but here's the thing that hit me when I saw that video. It just hit me that I miss that little boy that all in the world that he wanted was to be with his dad. And I thought to myself, you know, I wonder if God I wonder if God's heart ever aches for us like that. 
I wonder if, because for so many of us, there was, there was a time when we loved God. There was a time in our lives when we loved God like two-year-old JD loved me. But we grew up, didn't we? We grew up. And we started choosing a little of our own authority here and we get a little self-focused there and we start identifying ourselves more with our dreams and our realities more than we identify with him as our dad. And I wonder if he ever kind of looks at us and his heart just aches. He aches to be with you the way that I ache to be with that two-year-old little boy. You know, if you're here today and you, and you, you struggle with this, I, I do. You struggle with self-authority, self-obsession, self-defining. Does God still love you? You better believe he does. But at the same time, if you're walking down those roads, I'm gonna tell you something. I promise you, he misses you. He misses you. And I've read enough of the Bible and studied the prodigal son enough to know that he is not just missing you, but he is longing for your return. And so if that's where you're at today, I wonder if you'd be willing to offer your heavenly father that kind of love today. If you'd be willing to say, God, I, I need your help, but I wanna love you that way. I promise you it would bless him. In church, if there's ever been a person that's worthy of that kind of love, it's our God. Let's pray. their head bowed and eyes closed just take a minute and maybe just sit at the feet of your 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 heavenly daddy for just a second and um, I don't know what you need to say but just whatever the spirit leads you say it today Father, today I ask two things. Number one, Lord, I pray that that you would, as the scripture says, help us to comprehend your love. The length, the width, the height, the depth of your love. Help us to comprehend that today. Help us to feel that you love us no matter what we've done, no how bad we've messed all this up, God, you uh, Doris, it's the way like I love my son, but infinitely more, that's how you love us. And then God, give us the strength to pry our hands and our eyes and our ears and our hearts away from the idols of this world that do not satisfy and to love you the way that you've called us and asked us to love you in return. And I pray that our love would be a great blessing to you. And I ask that today in Jesus' name, amen.
I mean, church, let's stand together. Let's worship our Father.